L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. I was in a play in high school where it was like a murder mystery, um, and uh, the director of the play, in quotes, was was a character in the show. So, like, break the fourth wall, like, speaks to the audience. Sure. It would come out as, like, he was trying to put this show on, mm-hmm. this murder mystery. Classic. Uh, it was... It was terrible. <laughs> it was really bad. It was a really bad play. Um, but we had someone get very, very sick uh, the night of the show, of opening night of the show. And um, so we had the director character step in and like be like, but and I'm going to have to play this part. So he was able to just have his script in front of him because yeah. that already worked for his character. And he like deliberately played it terribly, you know, like <laughs> n- like a non-actor, even though he was a very good actor, actually. I liked how much weight was in that pause between it was... Terrible. <laughs> uh, well, he had to really. I was let looking sink in. for a word that more accurately described what it was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's not. There's. I couldn't think of a stronger word than just plain old terrible, and that was the only terrible play I've ever been <laughs> in. <laughs>
The only dinner theater type thing I ever did was our one <laughs> at Manual <You're> Tavern. Right. <laughs> and Forks, knives, and other weapons. That's right. Yeah. And we had the titties cut off and all that stuff. And I was the murderer once. You can't just say we had the titties cut off and all that stuff. Listen, like you've got, you've got to tell people you, what that means. <laughs> no, tell them. <laughs> Cherry, who you heard in the show, That's true. played you a character who got murdered right. and she came out. Of the kitchen. We were we performed this in a restaurant and she came out of the kitchen with a platter with two like what do we make? Like cake boobies they or something? It had to be jello or jello I mean, or something. Some jiggle to them. Yeah. And uh and it's like, oh <laughs> no, had, like, and she had like nipples. blood all over her chest. <laughs> And, and we then like... she <laughs> collapsed onto the table with the titties. <laughs> right. Like and there were lettuce around it. Like it was a beautifully oh, yeah. presented. Yeah. And it was like tray of tits. this killer. <laughs> Cut off her boobs, put them on a platter, handed her that platter, exactly. and then she stumbled out <laughs> into the restaurant and died in and front then of it everyone. Somehow killed her. Also, I was like, "Why would her tits being cut off murder her?" Well, it was. I mean, a that pretty would definitely be wound. a pretty fucked up thing. Yeah, but <laughs> still, it worked. <laughs> the funniest death was probably Julian's, though, when he had the plunger on his mouth and it pulled out all his intestines. Yeah, that yeah, shit it was, was like plunger hilarious. on the face, classic Looney Tunes style, and he like pulled <laughs> he on it, yank, pull, 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 and then he ripped it off. <laughs> We had this, this like, we it's used um, pantyhose, right? pantyhose stuffed with cotton that was all packed into the plunger, mm-hmm. and he put a piece of it in his teeth, so when he pulled the plunger out, <laughs> it looked like <laughs> his intestines were being sucked out of his mouth. People are eating, by the way, while we oh, like, yeah. like, we made it the most bloody, gross, <laughs> disgusting murder mystery you could hilarious. come up with, and it was hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, I'm in a show right now. If you're in Atlanta, the 16th, 17th, 18th mm-hmm. at Village Theater, it's called Tipsy Tales Robin Hood. Yeah. Um, and we uh, we do a, a one-hour show of Robin Hood, but one of the actors is drunk. And we've got to work <laughs> so... around that and try to get to the end of the play as best we can. I can't wait to hey, see this. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. <laughs> it's been very funny. I mean, the script itself for the Robin Hood show is funny. It's like a nice little one-hour comedy Robin Hood play. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be chaos because we we just have to basically go along with whatever the drunk does. Ah. They've done this show before and like not Robin Hood, but like the, they've done other shows. And, you know, the character, the actor will be drunk and they'll just like murder a character in the middle of the show. And now you just have to that character is dead now and you have to get <laughs> through the rest of the play with that character. So at any point <sighs> they might decide Robin Hood is the villain and we have to like rework the show we're now Robin Hood is wow, the bad guy. Sounds so sounds pretty capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, it should be chaos. So if you're around, come check us out at the Village yeah, Theater. I can't wait to see it. I'm yeah. so excited. Well, speaking of theater. Oh, nice transition. Uh, yeah, we have kind of a, uh, a theater person <laughs> to a talk performer, about. Performer, anyway. Performer, true. A storyteller. So one of our listeners, Rachel, uh, it's Rachie Vaughn on Instagram, had reached out and said, hey, will you please do Colette? Because she is like a bisexual, like cool author, feminist author from France. And, right. Um, it's like turn of the century France. So it's all crazy love affairs and stuff going on during that period. And yeah, that sounds right up our street. Right. So we started looking into Colette and we realized there's so much going on with her life. There's just so... She's like in the middle of this really interesting period of history, so many opportunities for historical tangents and so Mm -hmm. much banter. And she had so many ridiculous romances (laughs) throughout her life that we decided to kind of split her up into several parts and do our first series. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we had flirted with like a few series ideas like Henry VIII or uh, Casanova or Lord Byron. Um, 
But it kind of feels good to like start with, you know, a really complicated woman who had hot encounters with male and female alike and was just just can't be shoehorned very easily into any label or any box, you know? Right. So, yeah, let's learn all about the early years of Colette in our first part. Uh, We're going to talk about her first books, her first marriage, her first lesbian love affair, and so much more. A lot of firsts. Yeah, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Sidonie Gabrielle Colette was born in 1873, and she lived in Saint-Sévier-en-Puissay in Burgundy, France. It's like rural, you know, rural France. Mm -hmm. And her father, Captain Colette, was a war hero. He lost his leg in the Crimean War. So he was given a tax collector position in this village, which left the family well off initially. And Colette attended public school from 6 to 12. And all the boys in the public school only called each other by their last names. You know, they'd be like, hey, Banks, get over here. Oh, right, right, right. So Colette was like, okay, well, then call me Colette, just like one of the guys. You know, you shouldn't call me Sidonie Gabrielle. You should call me Colette. Yeah. Just like everybody else. That's kind of how she started going by her mononym. What is it? It's like mononymously. A mononym. Mononym. A mononym. Okay. That's how she started. It's so hard to say on the menominin. Menominon. That's exactly what I was thinking. Anyway, that's when she started being known mononymously as uh Colette. Colette. Like Madonna Madonna, or Cher Mm -hmm. or Frank. Or Frank. (laughs) Yeah, he has no Frank. (laughs) At some point in her childhood, her father was seeking election as a deputy in the French National Assembly. And Colette accompanied him to his campaigning events, and she would get tipsy on mulled wine with the voters. Oh. (laughs) Which is such an idea of, like, I don't know, like an 11-year-old kid being like, give me some of that juice. Yeah, right. (laughs) That good juice. Yeah, her mom put a stop to that eventually. She she stepped in and was like, okay. That's enough. How many voters have you won over? Okay, that'll be enough. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But by the time that Colette was 12 years old, everything changed. Her father had made some poor investments, and this forced him to sell off some of his wife's property. And then in addition to that, Colette's half-sister married a doctor, but her family didn't have the money to pay off the dowry that they'd agreed upon. Mm. So the house and all the furniture had to be sold to cover it, leaving the rest of the family basically in poverty, which kind of sucks for the sister to be like, sorry, this is what I'm worth. I know the family's going to go broke paying for me to marry this guy, but... But also have to be like, it's not like you could be confused about the terms of the marriage contract. Like, why would you agree to pay a price you can't, you don't have? I wonder if it was agreed when they still had money and then they lost it all. over the course of the engagement, he lost money. That's possible. Right, right. Oops, how are we going to pay this down? And you can't go and like negotiate. Right. Like, hey, what if, what can we lower the, (laughs) you got it. That's why I always set your dowry, lesson for you, everybody. (laughs) When you're setting your dowries, make it a percentage of your net worth, not a hard number. That way, if you lose everything, you know, oh, sorry, here you get 20% of my my money. That's 
two bucks. It turns out my daughter's worth less than I said. Yeah, sorry. Don't carry that energy into your marriage. (laughs) (laughs) So everything had been sold off. The family's left with nothing. And Colette wrote in her memoirs, quote, except for my parents' ruin, the money gone, the furniture sold by public auction, it had been roses all the way. But what would I have done with everlasting roses? (laughs) Well, that's an optimistic outlook. It's true. I think she was pretty depressed throughout her life, but she seemed to try at least. (laughs) Yeah. Who wants to be happy all the time? Mm -hmm. Sounds miserable. What would I write about? Yeah. Now, her father frequently corresponded with a friend that he had served in the Crimean War with. And when Colette was 19, this friend's son came to visit them. His name was Henri Gauthier Villars, known to most people by his pen name, Willie. Just Willie. Willie. <laughs> Another mononymous. <laughs> so Willie is in Puisay. Willie is in Puisay. And if I were 12, I'd have a joke there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just going to let it go because I'm, I'm a mature man. adult. <laughs> mature. <laughs> now, Willie was 13 years older than Colette. He was a critic and writer in Paris. He was already famous with his quips and ways, his way with words and... Also, as being one of the most notorious libertines in Paris. Mm. And he wasn't handsome. Uh, Joel Van Valin writes in his article, The Endearing Colette, that Willie had, quote, a beak of a nose and a paunch of the stomach. But he was cultured and urbane. And most importantly, he made her laugh. I'm telling you, it's like Roger Rabbit. That's <laughs> true. You can get a hot lady if you got a good sense of humor. It's true. It's true. Plus... He was Colette's ticket out of the provinces and rural obscurity, which probably really added to his attraction. Yeah. Like she saw him like she was like, this is my train out of here. Yeah. Now, Willie seemed equally taken with this, you know, this striking French beauty, this gorgeous woman. And she had this this flowing golden hair and these big magnetic eyes. Her, her hair went all the way down to her ankles. Yes. In so fact, it was like just a, a, a natural dress. She was <laughs> know, always she's wearing. Like cousin it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> there was actually some writer said that she would wear them in two braids. Yeah. That would sit coiled like a python in the chair next cool. to her. I think that was uh, one of her biographers talked about that. I'm like, whoa, the heaviness of the hair. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> and her neck. Anyway, <laughs> I had little... really long hair down to my waist, and it was right. Heavy. I'm just saying. <laughs> she's got a wheelbarrow. She's always pushing around with her. It's just my with hair. The braids in. I would assume if I saw someone with hair coiled up around them mm-hmm. that they, that they could control it. Like it, it could come to life and strangle them. So like a tangled thing. Absolutely. Like you could whip yeah. it around. If it got that long, there's some magic to it. Yeah. And Gotta be. If there's some magic to it, there's no limit. <laughs> there's all magic yeah, to it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Fire-breathing hair. <laughs> Ugh, that would smell. <laughs> I know. I was about to be like, oh, actually fire and hair. Let's not put those together. <laughs> Van Valen, the journalist, says that in a French gossip newspaper, there was an item printed warning, quote, an exquisite blonde whose marvelous hair has made her famous to follow Mephistopheles' advice and not give away any kisses until she has a ring on her finger. Oh, la la. And this article made Willie so mad that he fought a duel with the editor and wounded him. <laughs> Damn. It's <laughs> like, the hell you say? I'll pink you in the arm, sir. <laughs> but not long after that, in 1893, Willie and Colette were married. 
they moved to live in Paris full time. But married life was not all it was cracked up to be. Colette said the city of Paris filled her with dread, which kind of makes sense when you grow up in the country. Oh, yeah. Sensory overload, just a lot going on. She called marital sex, quote, an ugly dream. Oh. Which, I don't know what that says about Willie in bed or just how how traumatic your first sexual experience can be. I suppose so. Um, I don't know exactly what she's referring to with that. Mm-hmm. but Also, Willie was a neglectful husband. Oh. The guy, he worked hard dish and he played harder Mm -hmm. his whole life was about like the social rounds so he would always be out at the theater and running around trying to meet journalistic deadlines and stuff so he just left colette home alone most of the time and usually she was hiding from people that they owed money to who would come around you know knocking on the door and shit and she would just have to like hide behind a bureau and pretend not to be home Mm -hmm. which is so creepy (laughs) No one's here. And oh, we're absent. Nobody home. It's just us chickens. <laughs> cluck, cluck. And uh, what's a French chicken noise? <laughs> you know, different <laughs> countries have different. <laughs> no, they what, do. It's true. What do the French say for chicken clucks? You know, we're like, bok, bok, bok. Uh, Glousement de poulet. Oh, wow. <laughs> I got the translation the chickens for chicken are very clucks. sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> Glousement de poulet. Glousement de poulet. That's a French chicken. <laughs> well, I can't find chicken, but my quick Google search here found me a French rooster, oh. which whereas us in America and, and in English, it says cock-a-doodle-doo, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. We all know what Classic. a rooster says. In French, they say, <laughs> cocorico. Cocorico. <laughs> which sounds more like a salsa dance to <laughs> I me. Know, I was about to say, that sounds like a really cool cabana spot that right? I can go to. Yeah. Leave me down at the cocorico tonight <laughs> for some dancing. <laughs> There's a big brass band playing. <laughs> it's led by a chicken. <laughs> now, I would pay good money <laughs> to see a brass band led by a chicken called Coco Rico. <laughs> Somebody get it together for me. <laughs> I am ready to watch and it. For Diana's birthday, we're going to have to find That's right. I want a Coco an eight-piece Rico. band led by a giant chicken. It's my one wish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Willie's leaving her home alone. He owes money everywhere. It's just like a chaotic situation. Right. He's always going down to the Coco Rico. I know, right? Blowing all his cash. She's like, I'll go to the Coco Rico. <laughs> he says, no, no, no. It's no, too no. dangerous. Sorry. <laughs> the chickens. Roosters only. Well. <laughs> Roosters <Yeah>. only. <laughs> it's only for cocks. <laughs> but also, Willie cheated. Oh, Like we said, he's one of the most notorious libertines in Paris, so Mm -hmm. not really a surprise to hear this. Right. Uh, He had a string of mistresses, uh, actresses, waitresses, studio models. He was forever. Mm. Some of them, he had them for years. Some of them, it would just be a short little one-night stand or whatever. And about a year into their marriage, Colette received an anonymous letter telling her... Hey, you'll be very interested to know what is going on in this particular Parisian appartement. <laughs> how was my how was my accent? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So good. And Colette took herself to the address provided, and she found her husband with his mistress, Charlotte Kinsler, who he'd actually been with for like several years at this point. Mm. And again, this is far from his only affair, but this right. is the first one that Colette knew about. Okay. And somebody wanted her to know, you know, they, I don't right. know if it was meant to be a kind thing, like your husband's running around on you, or if it was like, hey, you're being, you know, like kind of a shitty thing. Was it like, like feel badly? cut out magazine letters? Right. Oh, 
Speculation Station. Mm. It's one of his other mistresses <gasps> who found out about this girl and was like, fine, I'm going to tell your wife on you. I like that. You're cheating on me mm-hmm. with somebody else that you're cheating on your <laughs> wife with? You're supposed to be cheating on your wife with, with me. me. <laughs> well, I'm going to go tell Colette about this. That's definitely what happened. Yeah. So anyway, one of his other mistresses tipped off Colette about his other mistress. <laughs> That's Settled. definitely what happened. Settled. So anyway, history made. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't let your lurid imagination go get away with you because I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought they were like in the middle of some crazy sex act or something. Oh, when, she, when Colette walks in, right. it's like, oh my. So Colette walks in and is like, mon dieu, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And we we assume that it's like they're like neuf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it wasn't. They actually were just going through Charlotte's household accounts. <gasps> Mon dieu! Mon dieu! And honestly, listen, like this might have been more galling right. than walking in on some sex stuff, because again, Colette has spent a year hiding from creditors, and then she has right. to walk in and watch this guy financially support another woman. Oh, my goodness. So she might have been like, I'd rather cut you with your dick insider than this. <laughs> <laughs> you writing a check? What's this? Wow. Maybe another speculation station. Uh, maybe he wasn't helping her with her finances. Maybe he was trying to scam some money. Oh. Or he's like, oh, yes, um, you should... Probably, I've got an account that I could keep some of this in that has a better interest rate. So why don't you just give it to me? <laughs> it reminds me of my when my cousin came to look at all my Magic the Gathering cards in middle school because I mm-hmm. my mom bought me a yard sale box for twenty five cents of like five hundred Magic the Gathering cards, and I never played before. My cousin definitely had, so I was like, hey you know, are these worth anything? And he comes through and he literally sits down my deck and he starts going through it. And I was just too naive at the time to know what he was doing oh, as he no. sets cards aside and is like, you don't want this. You don't want this. This one's no good. This one's no good. Here, you should keep these. Maybe you can sell that one. And he walks away with a stack of his own. Uh-huh. And in hindsight, I'm like, he definitely probably took he all took the all valuable the cards. Ones. <laughs> you should have been like, well, if I don't want them, why do you want them? Yeah. <laughs> well, he was, well, I actually play, so these are good for my deck, but they're not worth anything, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever he was doing with Charlotte, whether he was trying to scam her money or give her money. <laughs> <laughs> According to Victoria Best, a former lecturer on French literature at Cambridge University, she writes a blog called Lit Love, and she has goes real into Colette. It's really interesting. So okay. definitely check her out. Can I pause for uh-huh. Victoria Best here for a second? Sure. Her blog's called Lit Love. Why isn't it called Best Lit or Best oh. Love? You got a last name like Best, you better be using it. That's so That's true. I didn't even think about it. Not that. a lot of us are gifted Best with a last lit. name like Best. <laughs> Use it. <laughs> Use it for the for those of us who can't. That's true. We should write her a letter. We like, I, will. I love your blog. Uh, just cited it in our podcast episode. Yep. And also want to ask, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, Victoria, you do you. Okay, girl. Yeah, she does great work. Uh, great please stuff. continue. Well, she wrote that when Colette walks in on Charlotte and Willie, Charlotte was like ready to fight. She grabbed oh, up a shit. pair of scissors what? to defend herself. Which tells me something about maybe Charlotte's life in the past couple of years. <laughs> <It's just laughs> right. like, people keep sending anonymous letters about Willie being in my apartment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to be ready. She's always got a pair of scissors within <laughs> hand's reach. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was going to stab Colette. <laughs> She's like, there's always, man, my boyfriend's wives are always showing up here. Trying to start some shit. <laughs> 
But Colette played it really cool. And this is like a common thing for Colette. She seems to be very like interested in maintaining uh, in maintaining her cool in the okay. face of public humiliation. Gotcha. So when all her family's stuff went up for auction, even as a kid, she was acting like, oh, that ain't no thing. Everything's yeah. fine. I don't care. What would I want with all these roses? What, exactly. Yeah. What would I do with everlasting roses? Yeah. Um. So in this situation, she also just played it cool. She said, I'm here to get you, Willie. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I'm here to get your Willie <laughs> out of that. <laughs> and let's go. So, yeah, she just played it cool. She got Willie. She left. And actually, she and Charlotte became friends <laughs> eventually. Like, once she had kind of, I guess, decided there's, and Willie's incorrigible. There's nothing to be done. Yeah. She sort of was like, fine. Why am I mad at Charlotte? She's yeah. making her way in this world. Lord. I'm mad at Willie. And so you and I are cool. But the pain of discovery didn't slow Willie down, not for a second. Mm-hmm. There's another time while Colette was sitting down to have her portrait painted with the artist Jacques-Emile Blanche. She watched Willie get dropped off at their place by a woman. And as he stepped away, they exchanged like a loving goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, kiss, kiss. Sexy kiss. So glad we could spend some time together. Little booty grab. Probably. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Sugar, sugar cakes. Sugar cakes. <laughs> Hey, the French love a sugar cake. Something like that. (laughs) And so do I. (laughs) But since he wasn't inside the room to see Colette see him, she actually let her emotions get the best of her. As we said, she usually keeps it cool, but this time she really broke down. The painter would later write, quote, She had real convulsions, hysterical crying fits. One had to lay her on a sofa and bathe her temples with cologne because she believed herself abandoned forever. Mm. That's such an old school, like, rub cologne on my temples. I'm having a fit. I know. know? (laughs) That don't work anymore. Can you imagine, like, you're having a panic attack and I just come up and spray Axe in your eyes? Uh, I'd be like, this is worse. (laughs) So much worse. Oh, God. Um, But, yeah, I think this is important to note because Colette is so well known for having, like, an open marriage and just being kind of out and about in the world. But early on, that was not really her her jam mm. uh, and she really took it to heart that yeah. she was being she was being run around on and not long after this Colette got pretty sick she chalked it up to this nervous breakdown but one of her biographers Judith Thurman argues in her book Secrets of the Flesh A Life of Colette that Colette's symptoms indicate not only a bout of serious depression but that her husband Willie had likely given her a severe case of gonorrhea Boo, oh, Willie. Man. Look, if you're going to be running around, first of all, have a conversation about it. You know, come to an agreement mm-hmm. with your partner. You can at least talk about it. And secondly, actually, probably primarily, play it safe. Okay. Friends, I know it's 19th century France. <laughs> I was about to say, well. <laughs> just try. <laughs> it's 1899 or something. <laughs> and Willie's like, a wife got to do, got to take what she gets. So wow. that means I get to cheat on whoever I want uh-huh. and I get to bring home an STD and give it to you. Mm-hmm. That's the risk you run when you, you marry take, a guy. You take what you get and what you get is it's gonorrhea. STDs. <laughs> so Willie sucks. <laughs> yeah, Willie fucking. <laughs> we don't like Willie. Boo, anti-Willie podcast. Ridiculous <laughs> romance. <laughs> but in a minute, he is going to do the best thing ever for Colette and that is make her a writer. And let's find out how right after this break. L-A-S-I-K 
LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Okay, welcome back, my petite Cocoricos. <laughs> <laughs> Mon petit. So, 
Colette, you know, got sick with gonorrhea. She was sick for a little while. Her mother came to live with them to, like, nurse her back to health. And then Willie was feeling bad, probably, for giving her gonorrhea. So he took her on a little trip to Brittany, France. And that seemed to kind of repair their relationship, at least for a minute. You know, they had better communication skills after that. Now, as we said before, Willie, well-known music critic and writer in Paris... But actually, he was more of a con man than he was a writer. <laughs> what? Willie? <laughs> Willie? A guy. And he was real proud of it, too. He loved telling people how he never did a day's work. <laughs> he just wow. paid other people to do some work. Oh, man. Some sources say he never wrote a word himself. Wow. Some sources say he did some writing, but mostly not. A real, uh, a real um, John Grisham. <laughs> totally, right? To stay. Uh, he I don't know. Speculation station. John, John Grisham doesn't write his own stuff, does he? I don't. It's a lot of books. Right. For How one could he? Guy. How could he? And like Tom Clancy, like any of those grocery store novels where they come out with a new book every month, I feel yeah. like you've got to have some ghostwriters. They probably wrote some at first. Sure. And then somebody came in and was like, all right, you guys can all copy this style. I hear movie composers do this a lot. Oh. Um, the big ones, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I read uh, recently that not Michael Giacchino, who's amazing, but some of the bigger ones uh, will farm out their. Uh, compositions to other composers and then not necessarily maybe give them the credit they deserve. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Just a thing. Just popped into my head. Something I read recently. <laughs> well, much like that, uh, Willie had uh, himself a stable of ghostwriters. Mm. Colette called it his factory. Mm-hmm. So he had composers writing music criticism and then he had authors writing like articles, novels, whatever. Sonnets sometimes. Wow. Whatever they felt like writing or whatever wow. he thought they should write. Mm-hmm. Whatever he thought would sell. He's like, write this. Recipes. Recipes, yeah. Blogs. Cookbooks. Yeah. Think pieces. <laughs> oh, no. He's like, get me some discourse right away. <laughs> and sometimes, like, he would conceive the plot and, like, hand over an outline and they would actually write the book. Okay. Um, Most of the time, though, it seems like he just edited whatever they came up with and then slapped his name on it and sold it. Gotcha. And because, the, you know, Willie was like a marketing genius, he was an incessant self-promoter. He had a huge network uh, in the literary world. So he could really make a book sell. That is the truth about him. He could market the shit out of something. So a lot of even acclaimed authors would take a turn in the factory if they were hard up wow. for cash um, because they knew they would get paid well because the, the book would sell. Damn. Um, so Stephen King comes by and he's like, things are tight. Mm-hmm. What you got for me? What you got for me? (laughs) I mean, basically. (laughs) And meanwhile, that meant Willie, of course, could publish as many as 50 books a month, uh, which is a rate that no single author could keep up with on their own. So he's Kid Reagan royalties all day Except Stephen King. (laughs) Except for Stephen King. (laughs) So uh, Colette even did some work in the factory herself, although she saw herself as more of like an actress and a singer Mm -hmm. than a writer. But one day... Willie was a little hard up for money, and he didn't have any ghostwriters around that he could lean on. So he turned to his wife for a new book. He suggested that she write something about her school days. But hey, you know what, Colette? Why don't you throw a little lesbian action in there? (laughs) Might help me sell the book. Oh, Willie. (laughs) He's like, sex sells. Uh Uh-huh. So Colette put pen to paper, and indeed, she wrote a 600-page manuscript in the form of a diary, and it was called Claudine in School. And it was about a 15-year-old protagonist who's a bit of a a hoyden. Uh, This is a Diana word. Let's take a literary (laughs) lesson for today. I'm sorry, I did not know this word, hoyden. 
hoyden. I mean, I don't know the actual definition, but I think it means like a girl who's a bit of a tomboy. You know, she'll dig, she'll run around in the dirt. She's very opinionated and kind of bold and brassy, and she'll okay. talk back. The definition I'm seeing is a boisterous girl. And go. the example sentence they give, just to clarify for you, is, I've warned you before, you young hoyden. That is not helpful. <laughs> that is not helpful. <laughs> that is not a helpful sentence. Thanks, Oxford languages. <laughs> Anyway, Claudine is a bit of a hoyden. Mm -hmm. She's got a quick wit. She's curious. She's bold. She's got this independent spirit. And she has a love affair with her female teacher. And I'll say she was only 15, so there's no sex in it. It's not a pornographic book. It was like kissing and cuddling. Thank you. Type love affair. I was a little worried about that. Mm -hmm. Either way, inappropes. Inappropes. But... uh, (laughs) But it sells, I guess. Willie barely even flipped through this 600-page manuscript before he just threw it into a drawer in disappointment, slammed it shut. No way am I ever publishing. This will not see the light of day. A piece of merde. <laughs> but a little while later, he dug it back up, reread it, and according to Colette, he called himself a stupid ass. <laughs> Oh, Willie. What was I thinking? <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> so he put his hat on. He ran out to the publishers with all the notebooks in hand, said, quick, I have the next, um, I don't know, Ulysses. I have <laughs> I the know, next. Like, I hope not. <laughs> We'd like something people can read. Thank yeah, you very much. Right. Wait, I have the next, um, uh, I have the next Da Vinci Code. Oh. Oh, Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Everyone is going to be talking about this one. Like, I have the next Tom Clancy novel. Get it in here. <laughs> and he gives it to the publishers. They put it together in the year 1900 under Willie's name, of course. And this became an instant bestseller, selling 40,000 copies in just two months. Bam! was the next Da Vinci Code. It really was. It really was. And then soon to be made into a movie with Tom Hanks. <laughs> yes, Tom Hanks as Claudine. As Claudine. No, he'll <laughs> the play the teacher. <laughs> he'll play the teacher and do a ridiculous French accent. Oh, my God. And they'll get, obviously, um, probably Elle Fanning. Probably Elle To Fanning. play Claudine. I can see it. I can she see could, it. She could play 15. She might be a little old for it, but... She could play Since 15. Since she has, like, sexy stuff, you'd want someone older right. to play her. Also, she's held, she's been held back five or six years in the oh, Hollywood version. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And I'm saying she could play a high schooler just as easily as Tom Hanks could play a female high school teacher. Very true. Now, this movie is <laughs> the man's a chameleon. very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by the Duffer Brothers. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what is going to happen to Claudine? <laughs> Can't wait. Well, this kicked off like a new era for Colette. Uh, She had found her voice. uh, She loved writing. And her literary career was launched. Because even though it was only Willie's name on the manuscript, it didn't really take that long for Toute Paris to figure out who the real author was. Yeah. I imagine those rumors spread quickly. I imagine Colette dropped them. (laughs) She might have. Whisper, whisper. Actually, I wrote that. And then. (laughs) Boom. You know, gossip spreads in Paris like like revolutions. It there, just goes so fast. But, I mean, he's well known for having ghostwriters, so they probably were always trying to be like, who actually wrote Yeah, that sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, at this point, they're frequenting, like, literary salons. They're kind of a glamorous couple going around. Not rich, but, you know, people wanted them 
on their guest list and stuff. And she is like hanging out with as yet unknown legends like Marcel Proust. What? And, you know, Paris was just enchanted with her country manners and her childlike spontaneity. Uh, during a blizzard, for example, she once made sorbet out of jam Ooh. and the snow that had collected on the windowsill. Oh. And so Paris was probably like, oh, she took his strawberry jam and snow and she made ice cream. It's all so cottage core. <laughs> J'adore, mon dieu. <laughs> kind of making me think of the Snoopy. Um, oh, the old ice cream makers? Ice cream, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Where you would literally, well, we did. We put snow in them. Oh. I guess that's not a thing people did. Were I they mean, like icies? Weren't they like ice? snow cones? That's what I'm snow thinking cones, of. Yeah. Snow cones, yeah. Oh, but you just made them like with actual snow. snow? Machine. Well, the one time we had snow in Georgia, enough <laughs> snow to do that. Yes. <laughs> I know. I'm that. thinking about snow in Georgia, and I'm just like, you can't scoop up snow in Georgia without Ew, other stuff coming with it because it's not gross. deep enough. No. You don't get that clean middle layer. No. And well, as a kid, I think it was like during the 93 blizzard or something. So it was finally oh, I've heard enough stories. snow to actually do something like right. that. But I feel like, yeah, most of the time snow in Georgia is not, you don't want to put we that moved, in your mouth. We moved to Georgia in 97 and people were still constantly talking about the blizzard of 93. <laughs> uh, it was like, it, you know, because I, I had moved from upstate New York in a valley where we regularly got like 18 inches of snow. And people were like, oh, well, we had the blizzard of 93. It was six inches deep. <laughs> and I was like, my God. I lost a scarf that day. <laughs> However, did you survive? <laughs> well, the next year there was no snow, so I didn't yeah. need it. <laughs> I had bought it and lost it for that blizzard. <laughs> Colette also around this time cut off her famous floor-length golden tresses. Oh. And she kicked off the fashion for short hairstyles for women that would stay trendy into the 1920s. Dope. So who amongst us has kicked off a fashion trend that lasted almost 20 years? It's been a, it's been a while since I've done it. Since you did it? Yeah. Well, I can't yeah. wait for you to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I was actually responsible for the midriff and Whoa. belly button rings. Yeah, that was me. What about belly chains? Remember those? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I started with, a, with, with just a ring, but then I like clipped my wallet chain to it because I also started wallet chains. <laughs> and people just kind of cut oh, out the middle man. chains. <laughs> I was oh like, God. nobody's going to take my wallet if it's chained to my belly button. I mean, it's a fair point. <laughs> or they'll rip out your belly oh, button. Come ring. on. No, I wasn't going to say it. You're like, it's a flawed we, design. We were all thinking it. <laughs> I was going to leave it there. Ugh. Ugh. I blame myself <laughs> for starting yeah, it this It was trend. your fault. Yeah. <laughs> if you started it, that's your fault. <laughs> And Willie wanted more Claudine because, of course, it's selling so well. Right. He's like, let's get more of this rambunctious lady. And so she got to writing it. And she has famously claimed that Willie would lock her in her room for hours at a time until oh. she had pushed sufficient amount of pages under the door jam each day. And Straight then he would up let her out. Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. Like, you've got, you better spin this straw into gold. That's by right. which I mean, take this blank paper and make it porn. <laughs> And then I'll let you but out. But not too much porn. Yeah. Because <laughs> that limits the market. Um, but actually, her the biographer that we cited earlier, Judith Thurman, she 
kind of is like, you know, Colette liked a good story. Mm. And so that means she was not always 100% honest about everything that she's talking about. And there is some evidence that when they were in the country together, Colette just had a lot of trouble concentrating. So she would walk their dog and sometimes also her cat in the morning (laughs) and then ask him, lock me in my room for four hours so I can get to work. Okay. Like as a focus technique, I guess. So we don't, I, I don't know for sure if he actually was like this cruel dude who would lock her in a room or if she was like, I just need to concentrate. I'm, you know, I'm in That's... a country where I like to run around. And so I need you to make me sit and work for four yeah. straight hours. No, that's a good idea. I might yeah. start asking you to lock me up so I can finish my work. It and would. then and then I will definitely tell everyone, she locks me in my room <laughs> until I'm finished working. She's problematic. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good point that sometimes Mary, because you do ask me, you'll be like, do not let me have this. I don't yeah. want one of these cookies. Yes. Or don't let me eat this after this hour right. or make me get up at this time. And, yeah. and, you know, that's that is a thing that you lean on your partner sometimes. Yeah. And you're not great at it. No, I'm bad. <laughs> I'm bad at it. But um, but I think that Colette had maybe like picked up a little bit of marketing genius from Willie. OK. And yeah. she was sort of like, this is this is going to make people want to you know, oh, yeah. know more about me and yeah. they're going to care more about what I'm doing if they think there's this crazy brute locking me in my room every day mm-hmm. and forcing me to write with bread and water or something. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it was almost like a branding thing, like, oh, it was just a way to get interest up about about the book. I don't want people to know what a hoyden I am. Mm-hmm. I want them to think I'm just an innocent princess locked in a tower. <sighs> She certainly thought it would get people gossiping about Claudine, the second installment of Claudine, and it did. She ended up writing him a book a year. There was Claudine at school, of course, and then Claudine en Paris, Paris. and then Claudine married, Mm -hmm. and Claudine and Annie. And then there was also two other books about like a spinoff character, and this was all by 1905. Willie comes in, he's like, I got one word for you. Merchandising. We want action figures, mm-hmm. lunch boxes. <laughs> like early Disney, McDonald's yeah, shit. Where he's right. like, hmm, how else can I make money off this property? Yes, you'll get a free toy with every Happy Meal, a joyeux, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Whatever. French joke. <laughs> Insert here. You get it. So, but but no, really, he started making Claudine postcards, Claudine cigarettes, Claudine perfumes, lotions, Ice cream. There was like a like a Ben and Jerry's flavor. Wow. Claude, uh, Claudine Praline or uh, (laughs) (laughs) Claudine and Annie's pretzels. Ooh, that'd be a good one. Actually, I would eat like a little sweet and salty. (laughs) That's good. I'm into that. Um, And then he would also make Claudine candy and even dolls. So Mm -hmm. action figures was not far off. No, you're right. Yeah. They had the first novel adapted for the stage with an actress named Polaire cast as the titular role. And Willie would go out and about with both women, both Colette and Polaire, on his arms. And he would hint that there was a lesbian relationship behind closed doors between the two of them. Yeah. Our old friend Victoria Best writes on Lit Love, quote, Willie knew that personality mattered. And that selling the people behind the stories appealed to a voyeuristic desire in the audience to see the real versions of the characters they read about. There was, after all, plenty of truth in this. Colette was ransacking her life with Willie for the plot, transposing their marriage into print almost as fast as she lived it. Mm. So it's, it's like how, you know, we want to see all the Avengers actors hanging out. 
as if they really are going to save the world when we need them to. Yeah. Well, that, qu- that quote really <laughs> made me think, like, what would Willie have done with social media? Can you oh, imagine the fake shit that he would be having celebrities put on their social media accounts? It would just be... He would have just done well, is all I'm yep. saying. He'd yep. probably be a huge piece of shit, just like he was then. Yep. But like he would have done well Very in this successful. day and age. Yep. And in terms of Colette writing her married life into the novels, most notably, at least for this podcast, Colette wrote about Claudine living in a threesome. And we're going to find out more about that, uh, menage a trois, right after this. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast, 
on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. And welcome back to the show. So, yeah, Claudine's fictional threesome was actually extremely true to life. And it will bring us to this episode's side piece. What could happen? Colette met the Parisian-born American socialite Georgie Raoul Duval, the wife of a wealthy French mining engineer, at a friend's house in March 1901. And seems like it was lust at first sight for them both. Georgie was hot. Georgie was like, hey, girl. And she was like, hey, girl. Mm -hmm. Look, a wealthy French mining engineer is, you know, he's going to marry a 10. He's going to marry a 10. Right. And also, he's busy. He ain't home. Right, exactly. Georgie's like... I'm feeling lonely. Yeah. Georgie's bored. Georgie's flying solo. Uh huh. She wants some anonymous. And she's probably <laughs> read all these lover. Claudine books and is like, True. This girl knows what's up. Mm-hmm. This girl knows how to push mm. buttons, specifically <laughs> the button. The one button <laughs> that we all know matters. <laughs> now, this is Colette's first known homosexual affair. Okay. Um, but it isn't just Colette's side piece. Uh oh. Because unbeknownst to Colette, Georgie also began having an affair with Willie. Oh, man. And Willie also had no idea that Georgie was sleeping with Colette. Woo, she's <laughs> playing the field. Georgie was like, I wonder how long I can keep this up. For real. Well, it wasn't that long before husband and wife figured out that they were sleeping with the same person. And <laughs> I just want to know how. <laughs> like, did they meet each other coming and going or... <laughs> Did one of them let it slip in bed one night? Like, they were like, oh, Georgie. And he was like, wait a minute. How do you know Georgie? How do you know Georgie? Well, I've been sleeping with her. How do you know Georgie? I've I've been been sleeping sleeping with her. I wonder if Georgie would, like, play them against each other and be like, so, Colette, tell me, what does your husband like in bed? You know, what what really turns him on? I'm just curious, you know, and vice versa. And, of course, Willie is like, I don't know what turns Colette on in bed. Why would I pay attention to that? You have to turn a woman on in bed? <laughs> I mean, maybe Willie was like dynamite in the sack. I it's have true. No idea. It's possible. He, he, got an, he got around enough that he, he should have. Sure uh, if practice makes perfect, you would think. I tell you, you hear about some of these guys and they're like having hundreds of affairs with mm-hmm. actresses and singers and models and stuff. And I'm like. I guess you just have to, I guess you really just confidently put yourself out there. Because it sounds exhausting to me. It really does. I don't know. Colette, apparently, as a journalist later on in her life, she would write articles, including about fake orgasms. And I wonder if (laughs) she was like, let me talk to some of these women who, are you really enjoying yourself? (laughs) Or maybe because she had lesbian love affairs, she would be with women, married women, who'd be like, wow, I didn't know it could be like that. She's oh, like, yeah. so what are you doing in bed with your man? I thought I just thought you were supposed to scream. <laughs> I wasn't compelled to. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Oh, 
<laughs> I love that part in Amelie where she's listening for orgasms in Paris and they're all different. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And one one of the ladies is just like, oh, <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> quiet. <laughs> so however they figured it out, they figured it out one day that they were both sleeping with the same woman. And in true Parisian fashion, especially for that time, they decided to share her. Oh, um, there's a police report from May 1st, 1901, <laughs> that really spells it out. It says, quote, We learn that the novelist Gautier Villars has chosen the afternoon of 29 April, a small apartment on the fourth floor of a discreet house in Pasquier Street, with the aim of meeting two lesbians, his legitimate wife and a lady aged about 30. The meeting of the novelist and the two ladies in question took place from 3 to 6 o'clock in the evening. Oh. Arriving first, the two ladies were left alone for an hour. But Mr. Gautier Villars had come to join them, so they continued with him the game. <laughs> first, okay, couple questions. <laughs> first, love this afternoon delight. Second, <laughs> first, <laughs> what? Police report. Okay. What were they? Why were you there? We, just, we had nothing else to do today, so we decided to snoop on a local threesome. That's my question. I was like, it sounds more like a gossip column than a right, police report. Right. So who were they being real loud and the neighbors called? <laughs> the police are just like, they just did a lot of gossip columns back then. Or maybe um, because homosexuality was uh, legalized in France mm -hmm. after the French Revolution. Right. But, you know, people would still call the cops sometimes. So sure. I wonder if the two ladies showing up, people were like, uh-oh, these two bitches are doing something. <laughs> and then the police showed up and they're like, oh, no, there was a man there. <laughs> he showed up late, but he was there. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> two women together talking, having a conversation without a man present and not even discussing a man. Hmm. Mm, zip. I'll have no Bechdel test passing in my town. <laughs> I also love, they continued with him, the game. The game. <laughs> I'm like, what? The game of doing it. What kind of games y'all playing? <laughs> I don't know, but I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. For me, it depends on the game. Well, of course. <laughs> I need more info. Uh, Colette frequently acknowledged that she suffered from jealousy. She called it, quote, the only suffering we endure without ever becoming used to it. Mm. I would say that that's true of like uh, hitting your funny bone. <gasps> you know, you never get used to that. That's I could true. hit my funny bone 30 times a day and I would hate it just as much tomorrow. Mm, that's so true. It does hurt in a very special way. <laughs> so checkmate, Colette. Checkmate. Nice poetry, <laughs> but anyway. She managed to put her jealousy aside for a while at least to carry on this menage a trois with Georgie and Willie. And this went all through the spring. But in the summer of 1901, Willie and Colette realized that Georgie made something of a habit of summoning each one of them an hour apart from each other. And they didn't take kindly to that. They're like, wait a second. We had something worked out here and you're all deliberately mm -hmm. separating us. Plus, I would also wonder who's second. Exactly. Who's getting the sloppy seconds Maybe here? it's switched sometimes oh. depending on her mood. See, that would be more fair. Well, also it's like, listen, if you're in a polyamorous relationship, there's uh -huh. certain rules. And right. if the couple's like, hey, we only meet together, yeah. it's not cool right. for you to then meet with one of them outside of outside of your threesome. Right, yes. right. Although um, it's also not cool of the couple. to They both met with her individually if it's that true. was the rule. So that's everybody like, was breaking it. 
So I'm not entirely sure what was bothering them here. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just the hour apart. They're like, we could use a little more time than that. I don't know, but they got mad at her. (laughs) They got real mad about it. Whatever bothered them, they did not take kindly to it. And they broke it off with Georgie. And then they took revenge in literary form. (laughs) It's also pretty, pretty messed up to be like, I'm going to go make, what, what do they call it? It's like revenge porn or something. Kind of, where yeah. It's, where it's like, oh, this girl broke up with me, so now I'm going to publish all the sh- all the sexy stuff we used to do. Right. Pretty twisted. <clears throat> but Colette wrote the book Claudine Married. And in that book, the character that Claudine has her lesbian affair with is so obviously a caricature of Georgie that Georgie tried to keep the book from being published. She feared there was going to be this scandal. Mm-hmm. But Willie, he's savvy. Mm-hmm. He got it published anyway. And Georgie cut all ties with both of them. This is it. I'm done. I'm done with both of you. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I question, I, I don't know uh, if took revenge is like a, a scholarly viewpoint okay. rather than their own viewpoint. Because right, she was right. already right, writing about her own life. Yeah. So a lot of characters in all the books are very thinly veiled gotcha. caricatures of people in their life. And this was kind of a common thing, I think, in a lot of literature. We talked about a little bit during the Oscar Wilde episode that sometimes they would be writing books about each other. Yeah. And it was, you know, you change the name, but everyone knew that Lord is actually that guy. In the circle, at least. Yeah. Well, in the circle. Yeah. Yeah. And now we don't know necessarily who they're talking about. But um, but at the time, they certainly knew and they would often be real mad about how they got portrayed by one another. Yeah. Because for all I know, Stephen King is out there like, man, I'm going to make Dean Koontz the villain in this book. (laughs) Nobody's going to know, but I'm going to know. Dean's going to know. Dean's reading it like, that best. <laughs> well, I'll show him in my next one. <laughs> I'm scared of him, though. <laughs> he can summon clowns. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yes, it might not be that cruel. But but in either case, you know, Georgie went to them and was like, mm-hmm. hey, this is really obviously me. Can you change that? No. Nope. Or stop this book from going out? Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, we're mad at you. Mm, sorry, so, bitch. Sorry. <laughs> So there was some there was some animosity to it. I think so. If if she actually tried before it was done to get it changed or something, then yeah, I think that there might have been a little bit like, sorry, that's what we do. So should have should have known it before you fucked a famous literary couple who definitely (laughs) talk about all all their friends. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) so you should have thought about that. It's like dating Taylor Swift and then being like, "What? She wrote a song about me? Come on, (laughs) who would? How could I have known?" So writing-wise, things are going great. Everyone loves Claudine. They're in literary salons. Life is good. But marriage-wise, everything sucked. Wow. Victoria Best writes that as Willie got older, quote, his libido flagged, and he needed ever more perverse scenarios to revive it. The steady stream of schoolgirl Claudine-alikes that were drawn to him by his celebrity proved useful for this particular task. What? Very gross. And Colette wrote about it, saying, quote, hanging on him, cooing to him. They write, darling, you'll marry me when she dies, yes? Damn. <laughs> You'd better believe it. He's marrying them already, one after another. He could cull, but he prefers to collect. Damn. Colette is a cuttin' ass bitch when she wants to be. She's <laughs> yeah. like, look at these dumb bitches. But as Best says, she did not write about, quote, How Willie required her to warm them up socially and sometimes sexually before he received them. Whoa. 
So this is a really interesting point here because Colette, like we said, she starts her married life seeming to be pretty monogamous. Like she doesn't want him running around on her. Right. Um, but then she kind of gets maybe swept up into the Parisian life or she sort of becomes resigned to this is how it is mm-hmm. and gets into the open marriage thing. And yeah. of course, she she must have had some same-sex desire already right. or else she wouldn't have been interested. Um, but I wonder how much Willie was like, go ahead and try it. Go, you know, kind of coerced her a little bit into some well, things that she didn't really want to do or... Yeah, or or introduced her. I mean, a lot of people are very her, yeah. feel very monogamous until they are presented with someone who says like, well, you know, what about this lifestyle? And they maybe even tepidly check mm-hmm. it out and then they're like, oh shit. Right. This is awesome, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, it's, it's true. Hard to you say. have to try it before you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I wonder uh, how willing she was to sexually warm up someone for him, or if that was like, okay, great. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> I love that. Right. However, she felt about the whole situation, you know, of their marriage. She was definitely getting sick to death of Willie himself. Mm-hmm. She loved their bohemian life, we think. I mean, she said she had all these illustrious friends. She had scandalous friends. Mm-hmm. One time, Colette jumped naked out of a cake at a party. Oh, gotta wonder if that's life, the first time someone did that. Life goal. Life goal. Life goal. You think she was the first one to do? No, it must have happened before, well, right? It might have. It's just such a trope. Yeah. That I don't know if she was like, "I'm doing that because that's what like crazy ladies do," or if she's like, "You know what? I'm gonna do something real crazy," and it became like a thing. <laughs> Maybe I she didn't popularized it, up, it. But yeah, that's. I'm like, she's such a trendsetter. Uh-huh. I just think of Adam's family values. Yes. Lurch. Was that? Was she in the cake <laughs> when you baked it? That poor girl. That poor girl. C'est la vie! <laughs> God, that movie's oh, brilliant. Raul Julia as Gomez Adams is one of the finest performances of our age. Uh, I agree. Absolutely. I, he will always be my Gomez. I'm and, totally fine to see new Gomezes in sure. my lifetime, but he will always be my Gomez. And, and it didn't hurt that Angelica Houston, also one of the great performances Incredible. of our time. Will also always be my Morticia. Oh, so good. Anyway, cakes. <laughs> She's jumping out of a cake. Colette also loved writing, but she was bored. In an article for The Guardian, Ada Edamerium writes, quote, Colette always knew that the shock of marriage contained something greater than her own experience of a specific man. It ended any sense of independent sovereignty. Mm. This apparently was like a theme in some of her books was mm. this sense. And it wasn't just women that had it. Some of her male characters would get it, too, where once they're married, they're like happy to be married. But then they also realize like, oh, I'm not in charge of my own life anymore. I have this oh, other yeah. person who yeah. I have to consult with all the time and how constraining that can feel and yeah. limiting. Um, I guess especially depending on who you're married to and how, right. how much they constrain your life. But um, but I thought that was an interesting thing where she's like really realizing that marriage as a partnership isn't just like we're together working together and making a life together. It's like you're also kind of limiting my personal freedom. Yeah, in a way. sure. And then her 1910 novel, The Vagabond, Colette wrote that marriage, even to someone kind and true, is, quote, a long, drawn-out voluptuousness, suspended, fanned, renewed, the winged fall, the swooning in which one's strength is renewed by its own death. Damn. That's exactly what I was going to write in your anniversary card this oh, year. thank you. God damn it. What? Back what to the drawing words. board. Yeah. 
Had but, to find another way to say that you constrain my personal freedom. <laughs> look, you say it every day with your eyes. Oh, <laughs> so glad the message is getting through. Well, it's just that the, the magic is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Colette started thinking about other things and other ways to be creative. And we mentioned earlier, she had always thought of herself as an actress. So she decided to take lessons in mime from the celebrity pantomime Georges Wag. Oh. And let's remember this is 1900, so mime is like a really big yeah. acting technique. Yeah. And Willie was super supportive oh, of this okay. career path. So supportive, in fact, that he urged her to go on tour with Wag's company, which oh, is something yeah. that would kind of take her out of his company yeah, for right. a long time. <laughs> oh, uh, I have all these schoolgirls trying to sleep with me. Yes. Why don't you go out of town for a few months? Mm-hmm. Take your long, drawn-out voluptuousness with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she realized that he wanted out, too. She wrote, quote, While I was dreaming of escape, someone beside me had been dreaming of conveniently showing me the door. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's like with just if one of us had just said something sooner. A little earlier. It's like uh, my first girlfriend and I went to see a movie, and I won't say which one because it's controversial that I hate it. Huh? Um, and we both were sitting there, apparently both hating it, but we both thought the other person was loving it. Oh. And I, after a certain scene, went Ugh. <laughs> audibly <laughs> during the movie. <laughs> and after the movie, I was like, you couldn't tell that I was miserable. And she's like, no, I thought that you saw that scene and went, wow. I was like, no, it was the opposite. Now, is that not a good lesson on how you, things can be <laughs> communicated and received very differently? <laughs> you got to be clear as fuck. True. What movie was it? Now you have to tell me which one it is. It's <gasps> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I would like to see it again. Um, I haven't seen it since then. I was like 16 and I was very bored and I wanted to love it. Mm-hmm. And I love everyone in it and I love that style of movie. <laughs> I would watch it again. I, I, I can't sit here and say it was a bad movie because everybody loves it. So I'm not going to be like, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. <laughs> but it, um, for me personally, I was bothered by it. I would watch it again. So anyway, in 1906, Colette and Willie separated officially, and Colette left to pursue her life on the stage with Georges Wag's company. Wow. And a lot happens during her, basically her single life. Okay. So we will find out more about that, including her affair with Napoleon III's gender-bending niece. What? In part two of our Colette series. Oh, I, now um, I can't but wait. But this will bring us to the end of this part. <laughs> <laughs> wait, you dropped Napoleon the third in there, and I am I know. ready. Can we just keep going? <laughs> I am so ready. <laughs> That's I'm crazy. Sure. Napoleon the third, of course, mm-hmm. the bastard who sent Max and Carlotta to Mexico. He's the a bastard. he's a popular character in Ridiculous Romance. It's turning out. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh my god! Oh, it, this is exciting. It, Especially when she's single. That's when she has a lot of her really ridiculous romances. Oh, my God. Um, it's so fun. I cannot wait because we're going to talk about like gay subculture in Paris <laughs> and all these codes and stuff. Anyway, I'm very excited about this series. Also, I think it's wacky that um, she went from like a, like a ghostwriting novelist mm-hmm. and libertine to a mime. 
like a touring mime. <laughs> like what a shift. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. You, that, that wouldn't happen today. It, I mean, it wouldn't be like Suzanne Collins being like, well, I finished the Hunger Games books. Now I'll be a touring mime. Oh, can you imagine? Suzanne changing it up. I would go see it. I mean, I don't know what she looks like, <laughs> but if she has a really expressive face. She could do it. I mean, yeah, you just need some. Makeup and uh, some st- a striped shirt, a, lot of a physicality, beret. Physicality. I know there's a lot of mimes that don't wear striped shirts they and don't. berets, but they all <laughs> I think should. George Wog was one of them. He yeah. was not into that okay. style of miming. Yeah, he felt that actually mime gave you more opportunities to show emotion and expression than sure. words do, okay, which yeah. is often true. We talked about that in the Oscar Kokoschka episode. He wrote right. that play that was largely wordless, mm. and about how you know there was a, a theme in the in Austria at the time that, you know, language wasn't enough. Yeah. And it was actually limiting. So, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That makes sense to me. I mean, especially if you're going around internationally. Great. Now you don't have to worry about not knowing oh, yeah. the language or they don't yeah. know your language. So they're missing nuance. You're like, there is no language. So it's all good. You might say a smile is the same in every language. <laughs> Wow. Thank you, McDonald's or Coke or whoever did that. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like Coke to me. (laughs) But we will, yeah, we'll get into mime and all that culture, I'm sure, in the next part. Oh, she's going to expose her. She's going to have the first nip slip. Oh, my goodness. Well, not the first nip slip, but she's going to have a big (laughs) nip slip. First time a nipple ever popped out. (laughs) She's she's just going to have a scandalous Janet Jackson style (laughs) nip slip. (laughs) I can't wait. Among other things. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to be bringing you uh, Colette episodes for the next couple of Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. That's how we're going to do this. We'll we'll break it up in between with other episodes on Fridays. So just make sure you can find the next part of this next Wednesday. We're very excited yes. about this series. Ooh, I'm so into it. So yeah. thanks again to Rachel for this rabbit hole because it was uh, yeah. awesome. And of course, it's turn of the century Paris, which is an amazing place to be for right. uh, research purposes. Um, so appreciate that. Absolutely. Probably be shouting you out a couple times during this <laughs> series. So thanks a lot. Oh man, I was going to research a French couple for this Friday's episode. So I guess we'll. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe we'll get bump out of them. France. We'll, we'll break it up. <laughs> get out break of France up. for a little while. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I hope you all enjoy this. I hope you're looking forward to the part two mm-hmm. as much as I am now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll bring that to you next week. Yeah. Well, write in and tell us what you think about Colette so far. Yes, please. If you've read Claudine, I'd love to know if it's worth checking out because I'm kind of interested. Yeah. I never, I haven't read any Colette myself. Yeah. Um, I've heard of her, but this is the most I've ever learned about her myself. So I'm really into it. And I, I would love to find out if they're worth, still worth reading, I guess, yeah, after definitely. so many years. Definitely. Um, but yeah, reach out on email. We're ridicromance at gmail.com. Uh, or find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. I'm at Dianamite Boom. And you can find the show at Ridic Romance yeah. on both those platforms. Uh, don't forget to drop us a review in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we love those. They really help us out as well, help keep the show going. And we will catch you all uh, with another episode later this week. J'adore. Au revoir. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 